What's up, Florida State sports fans? Kurt Weiler, back here with Carter Carls for another episode of the Knoll Sports Podcast, and it's a unexpected episode, I dare say, Carter. Uh, I cannot say I thought we'd be sitting here on, on Monday after region, and like regional weekend talking about the end of the Florida State softball season, but uh, that's just what we witnessed on uh, on Sunday. I mean, shocking, unexpected. Oh, the, the other side of everything that Florida State experienced with that miracle run last year with its softball team, it got this year with a, a very, very early exit. Yeah, it was shocking. I mean, I, I was at all four of Florida State's games this weekend with the way it started, just two run rule victories, pretty easy over uh, Howard and South Florida. You're thinking, man, they're even if they don't win this third game, even if, even if they go 0-1 to start the day, surely they'll win the second game. I mean, especially for a team, Mississippi State's never made the Super Regional before. They lost their first game, so they you figured they'd have to be pretty tired having to play, you know, uh, three games uh, before playing Florida State. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it was shocking. I think everyone there at Joe and Graff Field was, was thinking, man, what – what in the world just happened? And I, I, st- I still think, I mean, when you look back 10 years from now, this will be a season where you where you say, what the heck happened? No doubt. I mean, you look at, I, I, I think it's fair to look at, I mean, I feel like it's hard for this not to be a damper on what this season was. And it was an incredible regular season. I mean, only five losses. Perfect out of ACC play. So many wins against ranked teams until yesterday. What nineteen and zero on in nationally televised games. So good in those close games. I mean, I think they were twenty one and two in that regard. Just a a dominant team that always found a way to get it done. I mean, you look at the ACC tournament, two comebacks there in consecutive days against Duke and Clemson to win that title. So. It, it's just it, you couldn't have imagined. I mean, I remember. I think I threw like a passing reference to like I guess this is possible in last week's podcast. The last time we talked about this team, but I don't think either of us even really considered it until it was like over because it just felt like well, when's the when's the moment gonna come? And I mean, as it turned out, the moment never came. the The closest that came was erased by a pretty tough, but but not wrong. Ruling by the first base umpire of a, of a, a base runner leaving early, and that obviously ended up being a, a big deal. There were two of those Sunday, but the second one was uh, particularly uh, brutal for FSU. Yeah, the one other thing I'll say before we kind of go into the game, I think it's very fascinating to kind of get responses from Florida State fans, kind of see what the pulse of the fan base is, and there doesn't seem to be any anger or, or frustration. Uh, I mean, there's, I saw some. Well, more, I mean, compared to what you'd expect, a lot of it is more sadness because I think with what Lonnie's accomplished with this program, winning a championship in 2018, what they did last year, having this season, you, you, you kind of give her grace. You kind of give this program grace. You're like, hey, I mean, yes. we've already been playing with house money. We've already done stuff that we never thought could happen before. I think that's kind of the thinking with Florida State fans is, I mean, certainly right now there there's frustration, but um, <laughs> I felt like Florida State fans were more angry about 
getting swept at North Carolina in baseball <laughs> in a regular season game than they were this loss. I just think it's because like this program has built so much goodwill among the fan base that like yes, obviously it's a really disappointing way to end. Obviously it's really tragic and sad and, uh, for the fan base, but they they've kind of afforded uh some forgiveness, you know. They 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 can um they they can do this. I, I always I always heard I, I don't know who said this, but they said like you have a ten year window uh, or a ten year grace period after winning your your first championship in a long time. I I don't know. Florida State fans are, are saying, oh yeah, it's cool if we don't win a championship till twenty twenty eight. But I'm just saying like you have a loss like this. Obviously, it's sad, but it's not like. Uh, something worth you know being absolutely enraged about like uh underachieving for years and years in a different sport so i just i just yeah, find it I, interesting. Think, I think you hit the nail on the head and and i don't even know if it's really about the 2018 title although i think that is part of it i think part of it's last year and what that team did last year that totally unexpected run that they went on that just i mean so much further like 2018 and even really before then this team, just with how fun they are, with how much fun they have, with how evident their love of softball, love of each other is, just how they play the game, endeared themselves to this fan base. 2018 took that to another level, and last year, even though it didn't end with the title like 2018 did, I think took it to an even another level. And I think you're 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 right. I mean, some of that is. Uh, the fan base is definitely set in its mind about what the baseball program under Mike Martin Jr. is, fair or not. And there have been times where he's bucked that trend. I mean, we've seen moments of brilliance from Mike Martin Jr., but we haven't seen consistency. Now I'll say, we don't see consistency in college baseball like we do at the top of college softball. Teams don't go. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Tennessee this year has, I think, six losses, and it's one of the better regular seasons, six, seven, or eight, something like that. It's one of the better regular seasons in recent history. So, but no, I mean, it is a, it is a testament to what they've built that there are always going to be those people. I saw the people saying embarrassing or choke or whatever. It was one guy in particular who I muted pretty quickly because I was like, I just don't (laughs) have time for that. But you're right. The amount of forgiveness for that compared to when I saw this happen with the baseball program, even in 2018, when the baseball program went two and Q in a home regional, they were the number two overall seed, but still it's. The, the Lonnie Alameda goodwill building up goodwill is a great way of describing what she's done. You mentioned comparing it to last year. I, I was with you know talking with a couple of the media folks because I I was just so taken aback. It wasn't surprised, but it was definitely just uh, really a real moment that that press conference where they put Danielle Watson, Catherine Sandercock. Uh, they had uh, Lonnie up there and and Cindy Cheryl, and man, I mean, you could hear a pin drop. It it was so emotional. Um, it's what you would expect from a team getting eliminated from the postseason, but it had that extra like sadness feel to it. You know, um, it it really uh, was something else. I mean, I I don't, you know, I, I'm not a Florida State fan or anything, but. I could feel for them, you know, just the empathy you feel. You're like, dang, that 
that really stinks, man. And, um, you know, talking with some of the media folks afterwards, they're like, yeah, the, the, the end of the year press conference last year was nothing like this one. Yes, they lose. Yes, they're eliminated from the postseason. But it was a miracle run. They weren't supposed to be there. Like, they were just happy to be in the College World Series and in, in, the, in the championship uh, final. Whereas this is such an unexpected turn of events. I mean, really anything short of getting to the championship this season could have been perceived as a disappointment. And so for them to not even get out of their regional first time since 2012 – yeah. Yeah. I mean, yes, the fan base isn't furious, but the players, man, I it I, <laughs> it was pretty pretty hard to to watch. I'm I'm not trying to make this a referendum on Lonnie Alameda, who I think is a a heck of a coach, and I don't want to make this me speaking to anything about her teams or her program. It's interesting to me. I wasn't there this year. Your boy is a. Uh, Coming out of uh, COVID quarantine, I tested positive this past week. I didn't really talk about it on the last episode, but I took some cough breaks in there, and I'm, I'm still I'm coming at the end of it. I'm doing all right. Um, I haven't made a big thing about it. But I was there in 2017. I was there in 2019 and saw a similar emotion. I mean, I remember – it's weird just how things have gone. And, again, I'm not trying to make this a referendum. Home on Alameda's program at, at Florida State. There's something about the – the best Florida State teams, in my opinion, are the ones that just haven't achieved their goals. I mean, you talk about that 2017 team that had Jessica Burroughs as a senior, that had Alex Powers as a senior, that had Ellie Cooper as a senior. They lost to LSU in their Super Regional at home and didn't get to go to OKC. Obviously, year after that, 2018, is the national title year. and that They bring back a lot from that team. Megan King came back. Jesse Warren was a senior. Sydney Sherrill came in. That was a great team. But in my opinion, that 2017 team was better. And then the 2019 team, they bring back almost everything from their national title team. An incredible regular season. I want to say they're number four overall seed again like they were in 2017. And they lose to Oklahoma State in a home super regional and don't make it to Oklahoma City. And I remember the emotion then. And then obviously after 2020 where the season wasn't completed or even close, last year – not the best Florida State team, snapped the streak of ACC tournaments. I think the talent was there, but they never put it all together until that run they went all the way to one win short of the title. And 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 then you look at this year's team with the regular season, I mean, five losses, I think tied for the fewest ever, and the other two were in the regular season were in like the 90s, like a while ago. It was a different game back then, really. And, and they don't make it out of a regional, and they snapped that streak, which had gone on for nearly a decade. I mean, it's... It, it, it's weird how that works. It's It's been a pattern, frankly. It's been kind of a this and then this, and then the first one and then the second one, and then the the, the, the failure, and we're on the failure again. And it to see now, I mean, for a team that again brings back a lot, if they can be, make next year the success again. kind of It feels like 17 and 19 set up the runs that followed. I'll be interested to see if this one does the same. I think that's what made it the most shocking about this one was – oh. I don't. I can't really compare it to previous teams, but this was just such a mentally tough team. Like mm-hmm. it, this didn't seem like a team that was gonna say, "Oh, we're the number two overall team." Like, man, we sure have a lot of pressure. Like they they were they were coming from behind. They were winning. They were eleven and zero in one run games. Twenty one and two in two run games. Uh, they were thirty and zero at a conference. 
They beat so many ranked teams, so many national seeds. Uh, they did it on the road. They did it at home. I mean, outside of like a one-week stretch in the, in the season with Virginia Tech and North Carolina, they were pretty much perfect all year. Yeah. And so to, to falter against a Mississippi State team that you, know, you and I talked about, they had way less talent. They really just had a couple really good players, um, and that was it. Um, that that was very shocking, for sure. Credit to I mean, credit to Mississippi State's pitchers. We can talk about the games a little bit. I mean, you look at the first game and what Aspen Wesley did on the mound for the Bulldogs. I mean, Florida State had just two hits in that game. It felt like they reached a point, especially once it was five nothing in the sixth. I mean, it was two nothing after three, and then five nothing after six. And so, I mean. They reached a point where I feel like Florida State just kind of turned its attention to. I mean, when they pulled Cat Sandercock, understanding, well, we might have another game. We want to have Cat available, not have her throw this whole game. Yeah. It, 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 that one, I mean, it was a mulligan that Florida State earned by winning the first two games, by being so dominant with their 8 0 win over Howard and their 8 0 win over South Florida. And so you were like, well, I, I doubt Mississippi State's going to do that again. And in the early going, it's 2 nothing. what, two batters in the bottom of the first inning after Sidney Sherrill. I was leadoff tri- triple by Kaylee Mudge and then a homer by Sidney Sherrill. And you're like, okay, exhale. They, they, they like to sweat it out. This is how they live life dangerously. But it looks like they're going to get away with it. And then for the rest of the game, I mean, the bats weren't cold. They had 10 hits to Mississippi State's six. But... They really struggled with runners on base. I think they stranded nine runners on base in seven innings. And, and, I mean, they scored no runs over the final five innings and kind of wasted chance after chance after chance. And it wasn't the bats were cold. They just couldn't get the big hit against Annie Willis on the mound for Mississippi State. Yeah, 3 of 15 with runners on base, 1 of 4 with runners in scoring position. And you have to talk about... That fifth inning, well, I guess it was the fifth inning where, yeah. Yeah. you know, uh, Janai Kerr hits a single, and Devin Flaherty goes from first to third, and you know, Janai legs it out to second. All of a sudden, you got runners on second and third, one out. Dang! All right, let's go. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> you see both of them leave their base, and and everyone in the crowd was confused because. You know, baseball, softball, they don't just announce things. When, when it's a basketball game, a football game, they say you know, personal foul or whatever. But in softball, they're just like, oh, yeah, we're just going to tell them and then y'all figure it out. So we had absolutely no idea what happened. Obviously, the people on watching it on TV knew what happened. But, you know, we I was saying, you asked me what happened because I know yeah. you were you were there and they didn't announce it. And I was watching it at home and, and had seen because they were talking about it. Yeah, no one in the crowd had any idea what was happening. And it, it, that's what made it so wild. And, you know, Devin had been called out earlier in the game, the third inning. And so once you figure that out, it was like, oh, okay. But then people thought, wait, is Janai out? Like, what's going on? And then all of a sudden she's batting and, oh, yeah, it's a do-over. Okay, we understand what's happening now. But, you know, she singles anyway. Then Edenfield comes up and she singles. And you think, man, if – if Edenfield had hit that single with Janai on second and Devin on third, the game oh, yeah. is at least tied and probably they're winning 5-4. Yes. With Janai on second? Janai yes. is very fast. They're almost definitely winning. Yeah, Janai and Devin are two of their fastest uh, base runners. Yeah. So, I mean, 
yeah, pretty, pretty, uh, pretty hard there. And then obviously, you know, in the seventh inning, Mac Leonard reaches first, they call her safe. They do one of those replay reviews where it's just like splitting hairs and you're like, oh, I don't know. Is it in the glove? Is the glove, you know, catching it? Like, where is it? Um, I think you had a better look. You felt like she was, she, it was, it wasn't that she was definitely safe. It was that it was too close to overturn, right? That's what you felt. I think she may have narrowly been out, but I feel like, especially like when you look at college baseball, when you look at professional baseball, obviously this is the first year of a review in softball. I feel like so often, I mean, the, the horrible thing with baseball is you just get a limited reviews, which I know in softball, I think you only get two, but I think the thing is so often you see, and you're like, I think they may have gotten it wrong, but because you have to put that, I think, because it's not indisputable, it feels like unless they missed an obvious one, they just don't overturn it. We just don't yeah. see it overturned that often because I'm sorry, normally that wrong that often. And and they weren't. I mean, this ump was not that wrong. I, I, I'm still not sure she was out. I think she may have been out. But the fact that I, who watched the replay on TV a whole bunch – can't say definitively i was stunned that they overturned it because you'd never see that unless it's i mean it's supposed to be clear and obvious isn't isn't that like the wording of the you know i mean indisputable video evidence and i i didn't think anything about that was indisputable but i mean it speaks to what lani alameda said i mean it seems like they didn't get much of a break all day one thing also i want to ask you about this because i had a bad angle from first we're kind of on the first base line, but the home ump just seemed for me to have a crazy strike zone. And um, fans were very, very upset about that. Well, fans on both sides, I would say. The Mississippi State fans, I don't think yeah. were too happy with it either. Yeah. Um. So the, the game two zone, I think, was a little better, but it did feel like it got a little wider as the game went, but then not sometimes wider in moments. The game one ump was fairly consistent with his zone, but it was just a very wide zone. It was bigger than most yeah. I see. He was giving a lot, like, a little below the knees. He was giving, like, outside plate a good bit, like, off the plate. Like, he had a bigger zone than a lot. And, I mean, I think you saw the pitchers kind of, especially a Mississippi State starter, really used that to, to her advantage in that game. So, it's, uh, I mean, it, <laughs> it wasn't egregious. I don't think that's the play. I mean, what I'll say for the umpires, we can talk about uh, the, the the leaving early thing. I think the thing with this time of year, obviously, that's a huge part of Florida State's game. They can hit bombs. They have players like Edenfield, like Kaylee Harding, like Mac Leonard, like Sidney Sherrill. A lot of players in that lineup could hit homers. But they're also, I mean, it is clear how much Lonnie Alameda values athleticism when you look at those players and how all of them can run. I mean, even Michaela Edenfield is not slow by any means for someone that had, what, 16, 17 home runs this year? You know, she's not slow. She's just not as fast as some of the others. Part of that's just because she's big. But that was so much a part of their game. I mean, the pressure they put on teams on on the bases, I mean, would lead to mistakes all the time would lead to stealing runs, would lead to, I mean, that that is how they lived all year. The problem with the postseason is, I know, if you watch softball during the regular season, they have, I think, only three umps. And the umps, depending on where people are on base, have to rotate bases. Yeah. So the postseason, though, that we, this past weekend at, at 
join Graf Field, there are four ups. There's always an ump at every base. They they kind of add that extra person like there always are for baseball for softball postseason. So that means there's always that guy at first who is at first the entire night, and it's that guy was clearly watching with how much Florida State was running. Like, because he was there all the time, he got to focus on that. And I will say, you could be upset he called what may not always be called. You cannot say either of them were wrong. The second one was a lot closer. The first one was egregious. The second one was a lot closer, but she she left early. It was about a half step, a full step. She left early. Yeah. It was cut and dry. He didn't miss the call. He may have yeah. been harsher. He may have been harsher on the rule than most dumps would be. But if it's a rule, and if once they knew it was a rule, as much as they run, I mean, you can't be mad at the ump. That would be my only complaint is calling it so tightly, especially in a postseason. You know, you know, I always say you let the players play. If it if it's egregious, obviously call it. But if it's really close and we're talking about a hair, like I don't know if you if you want to just be so liberal about calling that. It, it uh, was not as hair as uh, as Mac Leonard's. If you want to use that as a, a like other, if you want to say okay. that was like a that makes sense. Then. Like it it was not that close. It was closer than the other one. But it was not like bang bang. It was a yeah. solid. Probably she probably got about a half second head start where she wasn't on the base, and there was about a half gotcha. second where it was still in her hand. Gotcha. Yeah, I, but it's brutal. I mean, it's because I I imagine most of the time Florida State doesn't do that. And what's tough for Devin Flaherty is I imagine she may have gotten away with a head start like that a few times, maybe a number of times this season. If not, every ump calls it as. Strictly, and I'm sure that's frustrating for her. I'm sure that's frustrating frustrating for Florida State is that they just on that day got a guy at first base who was strict on that, who was watching that foot, and who was tough on it. It took away a huge part of their game because I imagine there are times they left early and it didn't get called. Yeah, and I mean she's been a prolific base runner this season. Twenty six yep. stolen bases, doubled of of uh, the second most on the team, and. <laughs> Yeah, I just uh, – I mean, it's good for – I'm glad for her that she is not out of eligibility. She's not a graduating senior. That won't be kind of the end of her time with Florida State softball. She gets a chance for redemption next year. Obviously, yeah. I feel for the the Sydney Sherrills of the world. I feel for the Daniel Watsons, even Megan Tomlinson, who didn't play, but was, I think, an important part of the t- program culture behind the scenes on in the dugout, all of that. I mean, those are your three seniors – and obviously, I think for Sid, I mean, she leaves a great legacy behind. And I would imagine for her in the long run, her lasting memory will be 2018 and will be last year. This will not be kind of what she remembers about her time from Florida State in the long run. I'm sure right now it's it's tough because she talked pretty openly about wanting her to career to end in her home state in Oklahoma City. And, and she didn't get that. She got two great trips there, two great runs, one national title, and her career ended in a in – a, a, shocking exit so it's unfortunate i mean obviously danielle uh, a transfer from louisville became a really important part of this team and was quite the the two punch i mean sometimes last year on the run at times this year really even the a, a, a right there with cat sandercock is almost like a one one punch instead of a one two punch i mean was was quite good and and it's it's tough for them but 
The good news is, I mean, you know, you could probably maybe expect a, a, a few people in the portal. I'm sure they have a great recruiting class coming in, and I don't expect this softball team to be going anywhere. It's just a, a, a sad end that they and the fan base, I'm sure, are going to be reflecting on for a while. I have one more comment about the game. Okay. <laughs> and it's not a criticism exactly. It's more of a question that I'm, I'm curious. Pulling Daniel Watson – in the fifth inning, I mean, she had had a no-hitter in her previous game. Through four innings, she had allowed one run and two hits. And, yes, she she surrendered back-to-back singles, had one out in the fifth. Was, wasn't it a walk and a single? Or was it two singles? I believe it was two singles, but it might have been a walk oh, and a single. Oh, you're right, actually. It was two two-strike yeah. singles. I think you're right. I remember. And, you know, I understand, like, once you see a pitcher, but – the thing was, Kat Sandercock, she's been amazing all year. But in that first game, just it, it seemed like something wasn't right. I, I know that we both were, were wondering, like, what's going on? Because she, she got pulled after the fourth inning, and maybe that was just a, you know, let's save her for game two. But even in those four innings, it just it wasn't really her day, you know? And so I wondered, you know, Danielle Watson, who had been great all weekend, had had great four innings. Why not just let her pitch the rest of the way? That that's um, my one question. I, I think it's easy to to be that Monday morning quarterback. Like, and Lonnie's again. She's earned enough goodwill uh, where it's kind of like. I mean, it's not. It's hard not to. It's hard to fault her a lot for that. But I'm just. I'm curious if that maybe there'd be a different outcome with that. So here's. I mean, what I will say in all honesty, their two lines from their starts are not that dissimilar in the game one cat went four innings gave up three hits two runs had two walks with three strikeouts in game two danielle gave up four point or went 4.1 innings gave up four hits so more hits uh three runs obviously two of those she left on base and cat allowed to score yeah. with two walks and two strikeouts so she only allowed one run but then her two runners both came in to score I, 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 someone tweeted at me something like, I felt like like, Cat Sandercock got drilled in the first game. Why go back to her? And I kind of, I kind of replied to them. And I was like, I'm not sure I consider three hits and two runs over four innings getting drilled. Yeah. But my thing is, I think with your season on the line in that game too, you you go down with your ace on the mound, not in the dugout. You know. I think yeah. it's easy to play Monday morning quarterback because of how it played out. But with how the inning started for Danielle, I think you, you could forever say, fans might be able, forever be able to say, oh, well, she could have worked her way out of it. Yes, yeah, she could have. Cat could have also come in and put out the fire. It didn't happen. But yeah. I think the questioning if Watson had stayed out there, had given up the lead, and they'd never gone to Cat, or they hadn't gone to Cat till the next inning when the lead was gone, would have been more unjustifiable, in my opinion. Yeah, and to Kat's credit, I mean, from my recollection, her last two innings were pretty were good. Were dominant. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if she, she gave up. She struck the side in the seventh, which is not her M.O. Yeah. So, I mean, it was a high-pressure situation. You can't you can't fault her. I mean, she went 30-2 and two on the year, um, had an ERA below 1.5, I think. I mean, still were all year. So I don't blame them for – for relying on her, leaning on yeah. her, sometimes it just doesn't work out. 
she went through the meat of the lineup too. Mia Davidson was the first batter that she faced. So certainly was no easy task. Um, and uh, But, yeah, you always kind of wonder what if, what That's if, what if. So it is, it is possible that that Danielle could have could have uh, worked her way out of it, but you could also say, what if she'd gone to Cat at the beginning of the inning and not waited until Cat yep. got thrown into a jam? You know, Cat has handled that closer role pretty well, but especially when there are runners on base, it's tough. So Absolutely. I don't. I mean, it's interesting. Cat was kind of like. The, the one person up on that dais with the players and, and coach after the game who's coming back next year. And so I, you're talking about somebody who might use that for motivation? Whew. Yeah. Pat Sandercock would be on that list. And building off the year that she had, I mean, I, I don't know. You're you're more of the Florida State historian, but just thinking about all the all-time great Florida State softball pitchers, she has another season like the one that she just had. Curious where she might rank among them, and I mean, you, you figure that her accolades would just stack up and stack up, and she'd be one of the better ones for sure. Um, she would absolutely be up there with the Megan Kings, with the Jessica Burrows, with the Lacey Waldrops of the world. Yeah, I mean, it's a, uh, it is the the recent list when you look at. I mean, that I, I, without looking now, without having the record book in front of me, I would imagine the. Record book is at the top of pitching stuff is filled with recent Florida State pitchers and older Florida State pitchers, like from the the peak uh, Joey and Graf era. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I think uh, I think she definitely has a chance to uh, leave that mark and and should be uh, one heck of a pitcher next year and and continue to make one one heck of an impact. Yeah, I I am uh, just going back to that point I had way earlier. I'm I'm happy that most Florida State fans are calm enough to not you know burn the house down after this and recognize, hey, this is a pretty good program, pretty good season. They're going to be back next year. Um, yes, very sad, very awful, but you know. Uh, <laughs> This is one of the best teams uh, in the athletics program right now. They've got a lot of uh, promise in the future. They'll be right back. So um, lots lots of uh, optimism and things to look forward to uh, in the future for sure. To be sure. We will uh, we'll be back, I think, later this week. Hopefully you get a cough. It hasn't been a huge thing this time, thankfully. I've, I've talked for a while, and I'm, I'm doing okay. I, I, the last podcast, what you couldn't hear from my end when I wasn't talking was a mess. So I'm glad to be uh, feeling better and sounding better, I think. And uh, we'll do another one later this week. I think we're going to focus on uh, FSU baseball and uh, and do some football talk, too. Not even really about the team, but maybe some other stuff, kind of team-affiliated and, and, and stuff of that sort. I think we, we have some ideas there, and I think it should make for an interesting podcast. So we'll be back. I think we're going to do two this week, which we don't uh, don't often do. But uh, I think it warranted this week because it warranted – I think the softball, how that played out, warranted its own podcast and warranted it to come quick. And we'll uh, come back later in the week with something more. We uh, appreciate you for uh, for for listening, for following the – subscribing to the podcast. The review, if you have it, is greatly appreciated. If you uh, follow us on Twitter or Facebook, if you uh, – or Instagram. I sometimes forget about Instagram. Uh, if you – 
subscribe to the Democrat, we really appreciate you. That uh, that means a lot, and we would encourage you to do so if you don't. I'm really proud of the work we do there. We will uh, be back with you later this week. For, uh, for Carter, I'm Kurt. Thanks for listening.